This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 69 The Mothman Phenomenon Part 3 First Contact November 15, 1966 It was an unseasonably cool autumn night as two young couples made their way beneath the dense canopy of black cherry, sugar maple, and beech trees that hung low and heavy over Potter's Creek Road along the north edge of the now-fabled TNT area. Back then, the area didn't carry the unsettling reputation that it sports today. It was nothing more than a beautiful and remote area popular among the youth for any number of youthful endeavors. And so Linda Scarberry rode shotgun and her husband Rogers, 57 Chevy Bel Air that they were both so proud of. Their best friends and fellow newlyweds, Steve and Mary Mallette, sat snuggled up in the back seat directly behind her. For the four of them, That night was just another in a long line of nights spent searching for something to pass the time. Small-town life, as it were, has always been small-town life. Roger slowed the car and turned onto one of the many dirt access roads that led into the depths of the preserve. Halogen light bathed the heavy tree cover that crowded the narrow dirt road as they ventured further in. They had been out there a few times, but it was really desperation for company that led them there that night. They knew a few pals that spent their time out there, and were hoping to run into them. It wasn't long before the coverage got so thick that the AM radio was overcome entirely by static. As they passed the long-abandoned generator building, Roger leaned over to switch it off and couldn't help but notice an odd look on the face of his wife. She sat, mouth agape, staring, apparently dumbfounded, toward the old power station. He slowed the car to a stop so that he could follow her gaze. It's, um, it's, well, what is that? She mumbled under her breath. He leaned over and immediately saw what seemed to have her entirely entranced. A pair of crimson lights sat unblinking in the undefined heights of the treetops ahead. There was something mesmerizing, something hypnotic about the bright ruby anomalies. 
he did not for a single moment consider that they might be electric. It was immediately clear to the petrified pair that there was life behind that pair of floating embers. The nature of that life was not clear, but whatever force illuminated them held the scarberries in frozen terror. The spell wasn't broken until Steve Mallette threw his shoulder into the back of Roger's seat. It was then he realized he'd been calling his name. Roger, what the hell are you looking at? Shaking off the stupor, he looked back at his friend with sweat pouring down his face. It's, um, it's some kind of lights. Their eyes. Uh, they're what? Steve said as he leaned up over the seat to look out through the windshield. The headlights now illuminated the figure behind those eyes. He reached back for Mary, more to assure himself that she was alright than to bring her forward. But she came nonetheless. The pair leaned forward, separating the scarberries, and all four peered through the glass at an inconceivable sight. There, just ahead of them, moving near the old power center, stood something around seven feet tall. Its skin or fur or hair was a dusky gray color. What shocked the group more than any of its bizarre features was its distinct lack of head. Instead, it sported those two hypnotically glaring bright red eyes in what they could only assume was the beast's chest. These eyes were enormous. According to Roger, they were at least three inches in diameter and sat over six inches apart. As the four mesmerized youths sat staring, the mysterious monstrosity turned on its thick muscular legs and began to make its way toward the open door of the aged building. The moment that its eyes left Roger's view... The magical mesmer seemed to lift, and he slammed his foot down on the gas pedal, throwing the mallets back into the back seat. He headed straight through the nearby gate and out onto Potter's Creek Road. If they thought for a moment that this terrifying incident was behind them, that illusion was very quickly shattered when they spotted the creature standing on a hill just ahead of them. As if a seven-foot-tall, headless, gray beast with giant, hypnotic red eyes wasn't a big enough shock to their system. As they watched on in horror, it unfurled a set of ten-foot-wide leathery wings and shot straight into the sky without a single flap. Roger swerved the heavy mid-century machine out onto Route 62 and put the pedal to the metal. As the speedometer neared the 100-mile-per-hour mark, Linda screamed, My God, it's following us! Miraculously, without a single flap of its wings, the mercurial monstrosity matched the excessive speed of the vehicle with unsettling ease. Roger's three passengers bounced around the inside of the Chevy from window to window, attempting to keep their pursuer in sight as he pushed the machine to its limits. Having no trouble keeping up, the winged wretch swooped almost lazily from side to side over the car as the quartet continued to race toward the salvation of town. The panic that filled the vehicle reached a fever pitch 
as the beast began emitting a high-pitched shriek. Slowing down to round a curve, Roger noticed the large, deceased body of a German shepherd lying by the roadside. But his attention was quickly stolen by the lights of Point Pleasant in the distance. He quietly told himself that if he could just get them to town, all would be well. And this appeared to be true, as once the racing vehicle crossed the city limits, Mary called from the back seat, It's going. I think it's leaving us. A quick assessment by her husband confirmed that their airborne pursuer had separated and was flying off into the distance. While the relief inside the car was palpable, Roger knew that what they had seen was dangerous, and so they headed straight for the Mason County Courthouse. He pulled into the parking lot, and the two couples raced into the side entrance, the one dedicated to the Mason County Sheriff's Office. They burst through the door in a flurry of overexcited chatter. Deputy Millard Halstead stood behind the desk. He ushered them in and quickly calmed the eager teens so that he could get a handle on what had occurred. Knowing, based on their excited state, that he didn't have time to separate and interview each of them individually, he allowed the group to recount the events of the evening together. None of them expected to be taken seriously. It was clear to each of them that what they had experienced would not fit into the no-nonsense approach that they were expecting from the notoriously humorless deputy. Thankfully, Deputy Halstead weighed his lifelong experiences with the group of witnesses more heavily than the incredulous nature of their tale. It was quickly determined that Roger would escort Deputy Halstead back to the TNT area on his own. His three companions waited behind as he and Halstead piled into his patrol car and headed back to the scene. As they rounded the curve approaching Potter's Creek Road, Roger couldn't help but notice that the dead dog that he had spotted on the way into town was now missing. And while there was no sign of the Mothman anywhere in the area, they did stop at some point to observe a dust devil just off the road. Whether this was due to the eerie environment or the deputy's general anxiety, he found this to be particularly noteworthy due to the fact that it was a noticeably windless night. But once they concluded that no flying figure would be found that evening, they started back. Deputy Halstead picked up his radio to update dispatch and was shocked to hear a shrieking cacophony of voices come through the speaker. He slammed the handset down in shock and exchanged a bewildered look with Scarberry from across the bench seat. Content with not giving it another try, the pair rode back to the courthouse in worried silence. Once reunited, the witnesses made formal statements, and the Scarberries drove the Millettes home in silence. No one seemed to have anything to say about this incredible encounter. The very next morning, a press conference was called by Sheriff George Johnson. During the press conference, members of the press were allowed the opportunity to question the Scarberries and Millettes about their encounter. Correspondent of the Athens Daily Messenger, 
and undeniable badass Mary Heyer was in attendance. She dutifully recounted their tale of a flying crimson-eyed humanoid figure and put it out on the AP wire. No one involved could have predicted the impact of that story. It sent shockwaves through not only the Fortean world, but the mainstream media the world over. It was mere hours after the story broke that the TNT area became a firestorm of controversy and activity. Whatever this flying fiend was, it was all the people of Point Pleasant were discussing. Before the Mothman that we know and love had received its legendary moniker, the people of the Ohio River Valley referred to it in much more stark terms. On the lips of every citizen who shared a home with it, were two words that seem innocent enough to those of us who find ourselves hundreds of miles and more than 60 years removed from the terror of the day, but can easily enough be given the gravity that it undoubtedly carried in the time. They referred to it simply as the bird. One man would hear this tale that would affect the legend more than any other. Not the unknown newsman who offhandedly gave the beast its legendary designation, but a New York journalist, ufologist, demonologist, explorer, and author, whose involvement would skyrocket the small-town strangeness into the stratosphere of Fortean legend. When the story of the bird reached his hands, it lit a fire inside him immediately. He took from his New York City apartment and headed for Point Pleasant, West Virginia without delay. He would arrive amid a firestorm of high strangeness, and he would embrace it completely. In fact, it is his interviews and reflections that would serve as the scaffolding upon which the Mothman legend was built. The notes and interviews created and conducted by John A. Keel would one day become the book that would change the world of paranormal investigation forever. The Mothman Prophecies. But by the time he arrived in Point Pleasant, the backwater town would be reeling from weeks of complete chaos. Encounter after encounter. Monster hunting posses, banding and disbanding. People storming into the TNT area, sometimes numbering in the hundreds in search of the aerial apparition that plagued them day and night. And what sort of evidence would be gathered? Just how strange did this high strangeness get? Keep in mind there is a reason that even 60 years after the fact, no incident of Fortean phenomenon has ever garnered the attention and inspection that this has. The experiences of those living in the Point Pleasant area are unlike anything that anyone has experienced anywhere before or since. Experiences that have forever placed the Mothman at the head of the paranormal panoply. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Tonight we are your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. Tonight. Just today. And now, the debrief. <laughs> All right, man. Episode three of the Mothman series. Yes. Of How a, are you feeling? Of an ever-expanding series of Mothman. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, good. No, this is this is the encounter I've been waiting to talk about just because I to me like this is one of the most notable ones. Uh, yeah. was, it's just also very playful and you know cool. So yeah, yeah I was, it's, it's I was pretty a, pumped to talk about it. It's a very cool story. Like when I initially sat down to write this story, I was planning on just going for it and doing you know the whole series of Mothman encounters, but this one is. Because it's talked about so much because it's the first... Everyone pretty much agrees that this is yeah, the, the I mean, outside of, like, Moffat. the grave diggers, uh, you know, like, yeah. that whole thing. This Which is, is arguable. Right, exactly. This is what I would say, I would consider technically the first real encounter, or notable encounter. Yeah, same. Same. Um, and you just... You have these great characters, right? These two married couples. It's just... It's perfect. And I... You know, I got to you know 15 minutes worth of material and i'm like this is a story all all on its own and we can talk about this encounter probably for days yeah for sure there's so much to it i think of this time period right and well these two couples you know out looking for something to do you know they they know that like some other acquaintances friends whatever kind of generally frequent this area and this is one of those areas that it's like you know the hill overlooking the town where everybody goes to make out or yeah you know have yeah, an orgy. Definitely. this is yeah. what the, this is where they're going i mean you know like yeah. so yeah this is where like i'm like 70 percent of teenage boys in the in the 60s and 50s probably lost their virginity in the tnt area. right this is probably yeah. like an area where a lot of children were made yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> it's also weird because one weird thing about this story is, given the time period, you sometimes hear, like, four teenagers, and you sometimes hear, like, two married couples. Right. And the truth is, it's the same. They're both true. Yeah. I mean, because they're, like, yeah, they're both young yeah. couples. Yeah. they're And this was a time period where it wasn't at all strange for people to get married as soon as they graduated high school. Right? Yeah. And that, you know, that was pretty much the case with these two couples. Which, I mean, now that's just that's just such a crazy concept. I could never imagine getting married just out of high school. Yeah. Like, not getting to experience life or know what, <laughs> you know, like, it is outside of being married, right? Sure. I mean, I personally relate to these two. I mean, you know, I was always in long-term relationships and stuff like that, so I guess... You know, I didn't have a whole lot of that experience myself, but still. Sure. I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. But, like, these, um, these two couples, they're, basically, they go out here, and they also, this is, like, a perfect scene from, like, 50, the 50s and 60s, because this is not only a place where people go to feel up their girlfriends and lose their virginity, but this is also a place where kids go to drink right and yeah where kids exactly. go to drag race their cars and like it's basically like where all the kids from point pleasant go to to get down yeah <laughs> in every sense of the term <laughs> uh yeah which is funny that they're doing all this in a place that ha- that has like leaking munitions right yeah it just seems like so off-putting like this you know i don't know like you think you'd want to kind of set the scene or set the tone a little bit sure like 
especially if you're you know looking for something a little more than just to feel it up and you know, whatever sure something romantic like, yeah let's let's go look at some of this seepage my girl and <laughs> you know let me feel you up and yeah and you can see some well, of my seepage <laughs> um no but still no but like that's another weird thing about this area is that it also is both right yeah. because this place at first glance is gorgeous it's a like it's a wildlife preserve right like super dense forest like lush it's a it's a beautiful area but exactly under the surface you have this these like chemicals leaking into the water table and causing pollution and stuff but it isn't really reflected on the at first glance yeah i guess that's true too that just also happens to be going on. Like, if you don't think about it, it's not there. Exactly. And it, like, it fits the story so well. Because so many things in this story are like that. Where, like, it appears this way, but underneath there's this, like, diabolical edge to things. Yeah. Which I think definitely does a good, you know, does a good job of, like, setting the scene for the story specifically. Yeah. Like, I mean, what better way to create this monster and like this thing that seems like so out of place and such like a, you know, such like a big deal um, than creating it out of something like this. Like you go into this, it's beautiful and like, you know, but there's also this like dark undertone to it, right? Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> they're out here for a bit and... um Mary is the first. Mar- I, yeah, it's Mary, right? Yeah, it was Mary. Mary is the first person to see the eyes. Um, and in her report, she she talks about being sort of like locked in its gaze. Yeah, yeah, like she's like uh, she's basically in a trance at that point. Yeah, which again to call back to the family that um. The man who follows his dog, Bandit, outside to um, to investigate after their TV explodes. Right, yeah. And he catches those eyes and goes into a trance. Yeah, right? he, he, yeah he said he didn't know like whether he was going to like fall into this or whatever else. Yeah. Like, be, you know, be all consumed by it. Yeah. And then he just turns around and goes to bed with his wife <laughs> and his barn like, clothes yeah <laughs> um but yeah and that's that's another running theme in the in the mothman encounters is sort of being mesmerized by the red mm-hmm. eyes um then the husband joins in right and he has the same experience where he's yeah. kind of locked in a trance doesn't even realize old boy in the back seat is yelling his name until Right. He like bangs into the seat and kind of shocks him back into it. Mm-hmm. Kind of brings him back a bit. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you're especially something that's that out of the ordinary, first of all. So you have you have like that. You're also like staring at this thing and like looking at it. You know, it's just very different from, I guess, what's expected. Plus, there are these bright red eyes, which that's also a little different than you, you know, you'd be expecting. Yeah. I could see, like, even if they weren't in, like, some, like, hypnotic state, just being so off-put just by this. Awe. 
that they're i mean that's all they're locked in on like that's all they're focusing on and just shutting out everything outside so you know but i mean still it's they're still in that state though regardless yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be magical right it's they're just in complete awe of what they're seeing yeah um and mary in her statement describes the eyes as being like two giant car reflectors like the red lights reflecting back like those are big those are fucking big eyes i mean yeah and i i like i like the description as also like headless and then coming from the chest because i mean that's that's a pretty common description about the mothman and then sometimes there is a head like it kind of goes both ways but like yeah i mean if you think of an owl as having no neck no like anything else like you could you could consider an owl's head, head, eyes in its chest if you want sure especially when it like scrunches down like they right, do exactly right yeah um yeah that's interesting i mean there's a lot of people talk a lot about where the the name mothman came from yeah and it's because no one ever describes this thing as looking like a moth you know what i <laughs> right, mean yeah. like no no one does it's always like some half bird half humanoid yeah. like thing right yep and um it's generally accepted that some unnamed journalist along the way was you know obsessed with the 60s batman series and named him after the moth which was a villain. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I yeah. could see that. I could see that. Bat, yeah. Batman, Mothman. Yeah. yeah. Um, But that guy should probably have said, it was me. I did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it sucks that I hate saying unnamed. But also, like, imagine calling this, like, today we're talking about the bird. Yeah. I mean, that sounds super lame. That's, I mean, Mothman is a great name. Exactly. Like it's it's. I mean, you hear that and you're like, oh, okay. We're talking yeah. about the bird. Pass. <laughs> See, that's the thing, though. I wonder if just without the name, if it was named the bird, I wonder if it would have even taken off like it did. Probably not. It wouldn't have been as like uh, compelling. Right. Yeah. In, in a yeah. sense. Right. You know, it's it. It doesn't give like that much like. I, if I heard of something called a bird, I'm really I, I'm gonna care less to look into it. Yeah, I would just go. Oh, but if a I bird. hear like Mothman or something, I'd be like, oh shit, that sounds kind of cool. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll add, you know, whatever. So that's yeah. pretty weird. I'll buy a Funko Pop of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, if it was named the bird, I don't think it would have gained nearly as much traction, and it wouldn't. We wouldn't still be talking about it today. I don't think. Yeah, I I I think that's true. I think that's definitely the case. Mm-hmm. The name is, it's just so I don't know. The thing is with names, though, you never really know if it's because you've been conditioned to relate it to the thing. That's fair, or yeah. if it is just the name, because it's a great fucking name, right? And like the way that like uh, these people describe in the two you know describe this thing as the two words as the bird. I'm sure then like it was very hard hitting and like. You hear the yeah. bird, and it's like, we're not supposed to talk about that. Yeah, because, I mean, imagine people in, like, hushed conversation outside grocers, like, did you hear that Sally had a run-in with the bird? Exactly. Like, yeah, it meant something <laughs> to them when you said it, you know? Yeah, true. 
It just sounds so silly to me. Yeah, I know. I know. It's. I mean, it's much less theatrical. I mean, for sure. but there's. You know, we have we have horror movies like a horror movie called The Fly. Yeah, it's one uh, of the best ever. <laughs> so I guess you know if you look at it like that, I'm sure you can make anything sound scary. Yeah, I if mean, you give it the context, but exactly because now when you say the fly, I picture you know some of the most gruesome transformation scenes ever put to film. You know, <laughs> like the fly is also lame, but it's so good though. Yeah, I mean, come on, Cronenberg and fucking Jeff Goldblum—that's massive. That's one of the best horror movies ever made. One of the best monster flicks ever. I mean, anything with Jeff Goldblum is going to be top-notch yeah. regardless. Yep. I'll agree with that. Yep. Okay, so they sit, they sit there, the four of them, and they watch it kind of turn, and they make special note of its, like, very human legs. Like, yeah. thick, muscular human yeah, legs. Yeah, like, I know you described it as, like, they can see, like, it shift its weight, you know, on yeah. its legs and everything, and... Yeah, which I think is a good good way to kind of be able to picture it. Yeah, I mean it's like it really seals the deal on how humanoid mm-hmm. the thing is. You know, when you when you see those those human legs, you know the legs that that Mark Stores from the Kryptonaut podcast would call Danzig legs, which is very very apt. Touche. Just like short, chunky, like thick boy legs yeah i'll bet i always like you know i've always made fun of the fact that the mothman statue has this like fat ass you know but like when you see when you read the descriptions of its legs you're like yeah he might have (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i could see him having a lisa juicy ass yeah exactly I mean, he has the power of to launch himself straight into the air without flapping his wings. So. That's, that's true. Imagine the squat power. Oh, dude, without a doubt, that yeah. dude probably like does his squats and does them by the millions. Exactly. Mothman does not skip leg day. Today, ten million squats. <laughs> ten million. Tomorrow, twelve. That proves his interdimensional nature, because he just <laughs> slips into a pocket dimension to do twelve million squats. <laughs> right. So yeah, once um, it's I found it really interesting that he doesn't really snap out of it completely. Scarberry doesn't snap out of it completely until the Mothman turns toward the building enough to where he can't see the eyes anymore. Right, and then that's when they book it. Yeah, that's when he slams on the gas, and we get one of the coolest sci-fi car chases right yeah ever yeah such a cool scene i mean that's just that's the coolest part about it exactly yeah flying down these back roads a 57 chevy oh dude and that's my dream car too exactly a fucking i wish i knew what color it was it has to be like a sea foam like uh that like sea foam like teal oh my god yeah that is my absolute favorite I was either picturing the seafoam or the classic cherry red. I was gonna, cherry red's right. good too, but I personally I like a I like a high gloss black eh, fifty seven okay. Chevy. Right, yeah, yeah, that that's my bag. It's like but greaser like, style. I like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. The kind you like race in an old like what the hell are those things called? Those like stone. 
stone. I, I, like I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I can't think of what the... Uh, they're, like, under the under, uh, the overpasses, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like James Dean racing back exactly. in the days. <laughs> yeah, dude. <clears throat> but Jimmy they go, Dean. like, flying down these back roads 100 miles an hour. Which is pushing a 57 Chevy, I mean, yeah, for sure. They're not designed for that at all. No. <laughs> like... <laughs> He talks about like he he felt like he was pushing the car to its absolute limits. I mean, yeah, like it was probably shaking. They could probably feel like that frame, yeah, about to just fall apart underneath them. Yeah, I could see that. Definitely. But like, the thing is, the the Mothman, which they see launch himself into the air, like we mentioned, without flapping his mm-hmm. wings, which that alone. To me, completely disproves that this is anything terrestrial at all. Like, there's no way this is an animal because well, nothing, yeah, nothing seven feet tall can fly on ten foot wings. That's not a thing. Like, it's not. Especially something described as being like thick and heavy, like that. Yeah, it's that's just not a thing. So. Do you feel that Mothman literally doesn't fly but soars and is able to extend and project himself literally just by his legs? Um No. Okay. I think I think it's more I think it's it has to be something that isn't governed by our laws of physics. Like something outside. Alright. I don't, I don't. I mean, I tend to drop things into the into the, all into the same box, right? I I think this probably is the is a new it's another face of the same phenomenon that people experience all over the world. Um, but <clears throat> so yeah, I don't think it would be governed by the laws of physics. So. He might be able to fly, but at the same time, you said nothing seven foot with ten foot wings is going to be able to fly. Yeah. So, like, I could definitely see him, like, pushing himself with his legs and just being able to soar. And then come down, like, he can whip himself around, and then when he needs to go back up, he literally has to, like, push himself back up. When's the last time you tried to fly a kite? (sighs) Dude, it's been years. Do you remember how hard it is to fly a kite? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember. <laughs> like unless like unless you have like just a perfect perfect wind, nothing yeah. over over you know too too crazy, but nothing like too late either because you're not gonna be able to get yeah. it up. So do you realize how like how much power it would take to launch himself high enough in the air to be able to soar? Oh yeah, like exactly. That? I mean, it'd be, yeah, it'd be a lot. Yeah. Like it would, le- it would probably leave a hole on the gr- in the ground. <laughs> like we're talking superhero shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he keeps up with a hundred mile an hour car once right. he's up there, so he's obviously not just like hang gliding mm-hmm. on these ten foot wings, right? There's some kind of propulsion. That's the thing. It's, it like what? What is that? Like what could be causing that? If it's not flying, then what is it? I mean, personally. And this might be jumping the gun on like a seven episode series, but <laughs> I personally, I think it's, I, I think it's psychic phenomenon. I think it's, <clears throat> it's not so, I don't think it's something physical. 
Okay. So you don't think I it's am. actually happening, but it's able to what get in their heads and they think that it's happening. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, that's like that's that's really simplifying it, but I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, basic right. in its basic in its most basic terms, I think yeah, that's that's probably the nature of this I mean, thing. I love I love like this psychic based approach, like especially when you take that with like vampires and stuff like that. Yeah, like you know, so using that in this particular instance like yeah i could i could dig that for sure yeah i th- i mean i think this is like a single tentacle of the other whatever it is whatever is behind all this like poking into this town and fucking with a whole city full of people for a year or so like i think maybe it's something that's gotten in their water supply maybe it's amoebas maybe dude maybe you could like explain this (laughs) maybe you could explain this the same way skeptics explain the like salem witch trials right maybe it's like ergot poisoning and everyone's just tripping balls for 13 i mean honestly like if we're if we're gonna like take the psychic approach why not like yeah i mean there's a very thin line between psychedelic experiences and like and paranormal experiences yeah so yeah, okay. I mean it, that okay. that could be it exactly. I don't I don't know. I yeah I mean that would that to me I think that would be the neatest you know possible yeah. explanation. Like physical, that would I think is cool, the, but yeah, I think that would certainly be the coolest. Um, like what you could call real world ex- explanation. Like yeah, okay. So it's weird because. They see this dead dog on the side of the road yeah. as they're flying back to town, right? Which, if you remember, um, that same fellow whose TV exploded. I was going to say, was that his dog? It, a lot of people think so, because Bandit was a German Shepherd. I thought about that. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they come back later, it's gone. So I don't know if this was like a Mothman snack or... Like he was just picking up his lunch after he was done terrorizing the couples. If we're going with a psychic approach, then yeah, I know. Maybe this was there just to uh, taunt them. Um, yeah, just to connect the right. two. Yeah, um, but I also <laughs> I also like Mothman snack. Yeah, that's it's kind of dark. Mothy snacks, <laughs> honestly. But they get back to town. Oh yeah, the weird thing. When they cross the the city limits. Right, and that was like right as soon as they hit city limits, right? Yeah, he just kind of peels off and and lets them go. Yep. Um which is weird. I like I wonder why that I wonder why that's the case. Maybe there's a barrier. Maybe that, like there maybe there's some we just recently talked talked about this on the um upcoming episode that we'll be yeah, be releasing um, Strange Semantics, but as much as I don't like the term supernatural, maybe there's some supernatural barrier at this town, like some protection barrier you know, that he's, he can't he can't go past. All right, that kept him out that night? Yeah, so he you know, he had to stay on those, just on the outskirts at that point. Yeah, because, I mean, there are future experiences that happen within city limits for sure, but maybe that night, 
Maybe it was just something something going on that kept him from entering the city. Maybe it, maybe it was lights or something, you know, who, who knows? Could have been anything, right? It could have been that they, because they had it set in their mind, especially... If they can just um, get Especially to the it, driver. Right. If the... Yes. If they could just get to town, they'll be safe. And once they cross that barrier, then they have that relief hit. And maybe that, like, you know, weakens its influence on them. Again, if we're going psychological, then that would make sense. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. Um, yeah, I really like that. I, sorry, I just kind of landed on that for the for first sure. time. And I really like that idea. Um. Because if their mind is, you know, if their minds are partially responsible for generating this, you know. I was going to say, they're creating basically their own narrative at that point, right? So, like, why, yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't they write in, you know, a mystical barrier that keeps them out, right? Now, I'm sure the other people that that. get, you know, terrorized within the city wish they would have thought about that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Maybe if they listen to this, they they can go back and, yeah. (laughs) um so they get to the they get to the sheriff's office and they find they get like the luckiest break ever by finding the one deputy right in the united states in the 1960s that would hear this story and not tell them to get the fuck out of his office i mean yeah i yeah that's like super surprising because most level-headed normal people would be like okay yeah just you know whatever like yeah you guys been out there smoking marijuana cigarettes haven't you having a little bit too much of that devil's lettuce yeah exactly but no he he had i guess he knew he had known the four of them since they were kids and he was like he said in his statement makes a difference yeah yeah he said in his statement these are good kids i know they are they've never been in trouble they've never been you know, and he had their backs. they were honestly, yeah. And he said that they, he honestly believed they were terrified. So he went out to, to see what it was. I'm sure he didn't believe like it was this like flying bird thing, man. But he probably was like, yeah, there's probably something at least like, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's go see what happened. Yeah. Which is like shockingly good police work for the time i would say even modern day i don't i don't think you could yeah get someone like that even less likely now yeah exactly but you know that's neither here nor there i don't i don't know though like i know a few cops that if you went in and you're like dude i saw bigfoot i mean let's it, go it, look something like bigfoot you'd probably be like all right cool yeah sounds awesome yeah exactly I yeah, I know a couple a couple that would be up for a Bigfoot hunt at any moment's notice. I think that's a little different. Maybe and maybe if it was Mothman with how like popular like how popular, especially after prophecies came out and then they redid the whole thing for that really shitty movie. Um like, you know, like <laughs> I like that movie. I I didn't care for it. You know, it I guess it is what it is, but whatever. It's very much a 90s drama. It, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah, you know, so, like, with how popular it's become, maybe if someone was to say, like, hey, I'm pretty sure this is Mothman, you know, they might be like, all right, we'll check it out. Sure. Yeah. Let's go take a look. But, like, 
you know, like someone that's not like, uh, and you know, like at least into stuff like yeah. this, probably wouldn't uh, even, yeah, pay any mind to it. Yeah, he would assume you were high, and you were talking shit, just tripping balls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, and then um, you'd probably get locked up for the night for no reason. But a couple weird things happen when they go out to look. So. Of all things, they encounter a dust devil, which seems really trivial, right? Yeah, like, it, that I, I was, yeah, I was like, that really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but the fact that it was a relatively like yeah. windless day and everything, you know, like, yeah, he made note of it. I think he was a little freaked out going out there. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah. He so he's probably so, just looking for anything to, you know, out yeah. of the ordinary, right? Yep, and um. But the the really weird thing happens when he goes to radio dispatch and he gets this like he describes it as like a thousand voices coming through the radio at the same time. Yeah. Like sped up. It's like super high pitched cacophonous whine coming through the radio. So that is almost to a T the way that Merle Partridge describes the whine from his TV, the sound his TV made before it exploded. I mean, I know it was like the high-pitched, like, I thought it was like a buzzing sound or whatever. Did he hear, like, the, just lots of voices, too? Yeah, it's like, uh, he described it as, like, uh, how to, what was it exactly? Like a scattered collection of, of wines. Okay. So, very similar. Yeah, and it, yeah that's like, crazy. This is a thing that we'll continue to see, too, as we go through cases. These weird, like, um, phenomena that happen with electronics where these, like, people will answer phones and hear it. People will, like, not to mention sometimes those calls come into phones that are disconnected from the wall. Like, super weird shit. We're going to get very weird. I mean, then we're getting into ghostly sounds <laughs> yeah that's that yeah. i mean for real that's like that's what's so compelling about this whole story is that it literally is it's a 14 flap it's not like it's not just ufos it's not just yeah you know this beast it's not just ghost stuff it's all of it is happening over and over again it's it's yeah, yeah I mean, it's there's so cool. there's a ton to it. It's just cool. That's why it's gonna take us thirty episodes to cover it all. Yeah, dude. I'm I'm <laughs> guessing I'm saying six yeah. minimum. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean you know, we talked yeah. about this going into it, so you need to do it justice at least. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like, you know, I figure if Mothman takes us halfway to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, that'll be all right that's less content we have to write for other stories (laughs) (laughs) i mean it saves all those stories for later yeah that's that's what you meant (laughs) so yeah this this weird wine right coming through the radio is like a reoccurring theme yeah and it's what what blows my mind is that we're this is part three and John Keel hasn't even arrived in Point Pleasant yet. Yeah. Like, 
probably the most important thing that happens in the story is this sheriff calls this press conference for them the next morning right and Mary Heyer who is one of the most probably the second most important character in this whole story right she instead of just saying like well I'm just going to write this article for this small town newspaper she puts it on on the wire she puts it out to go out to all the major cities and it like creates a fucking firestorm like they're reporting on Mothman in New York and LA and London like all over the world they pick up this story it's crazy that it gained that much attention so quickly yeah it's yeah it's wild and it like you know coincidentally lands in the lap of john keel right in new york which basically sets the stage for you know that the fact that she put that on on the wire that story on the wire is the reason why you yeah. and i are sitting here talking about Mothman. that's true I mean, that, that could have just as easily died off and never became anything of any significance. Yeah. I mean, we might have come across the story doing the, the type of research that we do, and we would have thought of it as like, oh, here's right. a weird newspaper article from the 60s, yeah. and that's it. We would probably would have covered it in the first year if that was the case. I'd probably, <laughs> probably be right, yeah. And done like one offhanded episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, instead she brings John Keel into it, and his reporting is the reason why we know yeah. all this crazy shit that happened around it. Like, all the UFO stuff that led up to it, that, man, yeah, just there's just so strange much. patterns and, and things that, uh, yeah, kind of just connect everything, right? Yeah. And the fact that he was in town is the reason why we have the Andred Cold story. Yeah. The way true. we do. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's, it is it is crazy. It's just it's just strange that all of this relies so heavily on these other events to take place to even shed more light yeah. on it. See, that's like that's that butterfly effect we talk about when we talk about time travel, right? Because, like, if you go back and go back to 1966 and you tell Mary Hire, like, oh, don't, that's stupid. Nobody will care about that. If you convince her, right, to not put that on the way, it changes the history of the world. I don't know about the whole world, Just but... that one decision. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. Dude, there's... Mothman is a fucking phenomenon. You know what I like in the pop culture sense. It's there Yeah. Yeah. But we might be talking about the bird today. Maybe. Or or we might be it might just be in down low in the ranks like you know no one's buying a a fucking action figure of the Crosswick Truth. monster. Yeah. Or, like, the green-clawed beast. You know what I mean? Like, all these random stories from single yeah, newspapers. That's, that's true. I'll tell you one thing. If she hadn't done it, there would be a lot less cryptid t-shirts for sale. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, a lot. And we wouldn't have, you know, Richard Gere playing a bastardized version of John Keel. Yeah, no doubt. We should do a watch party for that movie. Of, of we could, on yeah. Patreon. I'd, I'd be down. I actually, now that we're talking about watch parties, I want to get a few going um, over on Discord and stuff like that. Yeah. We can do, especially as like we continue on with the month of Halloween. Like, yeah, we could we could go a couple. Yeah, yeah. tons of great horror options. Yeah, and it'd be easy month, to right? easy to host them and just. Let everybody get involved and hang out. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think we should consider Mothman prophecies for sure. All right, we'll do that. We'll Since consider we're spending it. all month doing Mothman stuff. Then why let's, not? Right? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll set it up. We'll just uh, we'll schedule a day and or an evening rather, because it'll be it. We'll make it like a later yeah. thing. Maybe we can Pick- do two movies that night. Or a movie and a discussion afterwards. Yeah. You know, something. Yeah. A double feature. Yeah, so pay close attention to the socials and we'll let you know when that's coming up and how to get involved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're hearing this idea come together right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's basically where the story for now ends is with John Keel has the the report in his hand he's on his way to point pleasant and and this is where he starts to investigate and yep. get all the stories and starts putting everything together all that right yeah yep. but there's a there's a gap in time between his arrival and when this first incident happens and it's fucking chaos in point pleasant like people go nuts over this thing and it's just encounter after encounter after encounter going on. People are like pouring out yeah. into the TNT area to search for it. Well, of like, course. I mean, we've said all along that we love a monster hunting posse, right? Like yeah. that was the coolest thing about the Van Meter Visitor, the coolest thing about the Crosswick Monster. I think this. I think we've now mentioned the Crosswick Monster more times in this. Episode I was going to say, yeah, in the, the episode, episode the itself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but like this time period is full of posses just like pouring out into that yeah. area to search for Mothman. Yeah, I, there's I mean, there's a lot. There's definitely a lot that uh, we'll, we'll definitely end up talking about. But yeah, I mean, people are coming in from other states to hunt for this thing. Like people are out there armed. I mean, with- of course they are. Yeah, it's wild. And somebody wants to get this so they can stuff it and put it on their wall. Exactly. Oh, it's so dangerous. I just like, that's all. I, maybe I'm just getting old, but I think about that and I'm like, imagine all these fucking people out there in the forest at night with, uh, with yeah, shotguns I mean, they're also and rifles. Like, they're out there with a purpose. Yeah. And they're looking for anything out of the ordinary and to willing shoot. to shoot anything that moves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you have like a lot of people out there, yeah. That could go south very, very quickly. Yeah. That's why eventually you'll see they lock down the TNT area. Like they're like, okay, we can't have this. Someone's right, going to get killed. Yeah. Out here. No doubt. That's just. Imagine how brave you'd have to be to hoax it at that point. (laughs) 
like, yeah. Oh, how stupid. There's a, a great story from Vermont, I think. Um, it's the Selbyville Swamp Monster. And this guy hoaxed it for years. It was just this, like, swamp monster who carried, like, a, a board with a nail through it and, like, would chase people off the road and stuff. And it was a guy the whole time hoaxing it, and he eventually stops because he gets shot at several times. <laughs> it's like the fourth or fifth time someone tries to kill Jeez. him with a rifle. He's like, okay, I'm done. But that's what I see, like... If someone would have tried to pull that with Mothman out here in the TNT area, they would have oh, been yeah. dead in with an evening. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's just no crazy. Way. I don't know. I, I, just, I never really think about, like, those, like, those mass, like, let's band the whole town together and go after this thing. But, yeah, like, that is extremely dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, extremely. I mean, it's safety like, in numbers, right? But at the same time, I don't think that applies here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Um, it's also weird now because back then, community yeah, was such course. a bigger thing. Like, I can't remember the last time I spoke to one of my neighbors. Same. I I can't yeah. imagine forming a monster hunting posse with them. <laughs> Me either. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> I mean, I I would have no interest in... Be- I love a posse, but I would have no interest in being a part of one. <laughs> yeah. I feel I'd that, be like, for sure. I'd, I'd be like, definitely wear a GoPro. I want to see what happens. I but love I'd a good posse, but I never want to be a part of one one day. <laughs> I think that's a t-shirt. Yep. I love a good posse, but count me out. <laughs> <laughs> And also just the uh, word posse. Exactly. Uh yep. Um So I mean that's pretty much where we're where we leave off for now. Um and the next episode's gonna be another sort of like side quest in the life of Mothman, right? I think. I think if we're still going that route. Yeah. Then yeah. Yeah. It's it's gonna get cool. We're gonna start getting like some world history involved, mm-hmm. some like prior incidents, right? That may or may not be connected. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, for I that. think honestly, by the end of the, by the end of it, when it's all said and done, I think we'll have a good, solid bit of of information. You know that uh, that anyone can go back and literally just learn yeah. the whole like whole thing almost from start to finish. At least to till today. Exactly. Right? That's the idea. Yeah. Um, so for now, we'll leave the events of Point Pleasant there. And that concludes episode 69, The Mothman Phenomenon Part 3, First Contact. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening we absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on we want to get to know each and every one of you so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on instagram and facebook at campfire t-o-t-s-a-u on twitter and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com 
If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.